Saludos a todos. Welcome to Connections, our interview series on behalf of Beyond Latinx, where we have conversations with Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latine artists and creatives about their work and representation of Latinx heritage in media and entertainment. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by comic creator and writer Julio Anta. Julio is a writer based in New York City, raised in Miami and a Cuban and Colombian family. His writing focuses on the intersection of Latinx identity and American life. So, hola Julio, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hola Mario, thank you for having me. Great, great, great. So I should say that we met initially at uh, New York Comic Con this year, and it feels like this is probably gonna be an extension of part of the conversation that was happening uh, at that panel. And when we're thinking about identity and representation, what are some of your early memories of Latinx characters or stories that you think shaped how you saw Latinx heritage being portrayed in America? It's tough. I mean, you know, I grew up in Miami, like you mentioned. Um, so, you know, a big part of my upbringing was watching, you know, novelas with my grandmother, um, you know, which obviously in hindsight, when we look back on that, um, not really a very diverse representation of Latin America. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I grew up watching that and uh, anime really as a kid, you know, so my first exposure to, um, you know, Spanish language uh, cartoons and that sort of thing was these, these uh, Dragon Ball Z VHS tapes that my uncle would send me from Colombia. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things where like, uh, you know, weirdly you like associate certain characters. Um, like I always just associated Vegeta with being a Latino um, in like a really weird way, you know, probably, you know, short, but um, you know, like um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, but really, like, you know, I didn't really see any Latino characters, uh, you know, in any of the media that I consumed as a kid, really, outside of that, like, telenovela space, um, you know, with my grandmother. Um, so, you know, it's tough to really think back to the first time. Um, you know, really, the, the earliest thing that I can think about was when Miles Morales was introduced in the comics. Um, you know, and that was, I think it was, it was, it was just the 10-year anniversary. Um, so really, it wasn't it wasn't that long ago, you know, and for me growing up in Miami, where it's a uh, minority majority community, uh, mostly Cuban, but, um, you know, as I got older, it changed a lot, a lot of Venezuelans um, as well. Um, but, you know, I, for me, growing up in that culture, growing up in a place where, you know, we spoke Spanish almost everywhere we went. You know, um, it was, it never struck me as odd, you know, because um, I was just surrounded by my community and by, you know, um, that culture. So it was really leaving uh, Miami, coming to New York, which also obviously very diverse place, but not as uh, much of like a monoculture the way that Miami is. Um, and that's when I really like, it kind of started hitting me that like, my experience growing up in Miami is not really the same experience that a lot of Latinos have growing up throughout the United States. Yeah. So where would you say your initial, I guess, introduction or interest in comics came from? Um, you know, I think it, it really came right out of uh, like those anime VHSs, you know. Um, I discovered uh, like this Japanese anime store uh, in Miami. Um, if anyone's familiar with Miami, it was right across the street from FIU, um, this place called Anime Hurricane. And I went there because my friend was like, oh, there's this anime store. You should go. They have all of these like 
episodes that are fan subbed and that are like way ahead of where we are here. And I went there and they also had uh, like an American comic section. You know, it was like a regular comic shop, but with a big anime focus. Um, and if I remember correctly, it was around the time that Civil War was happening in the comics. Um, so that was really uh, my first introduction with the exception of um, like, at, you know, back in the day, you could go to like a drugstore, a gas station, and there'd be like a spinner rack. Um, I remember being really into like the Archie Comics uh, Sonic books. Yeah. They used to like have the Sonic license. Um, and I was really into those. Um, but with the exception of that, which was just like, I don't know, a couple times a year, I'd pick up a, a, an issue, you know, um, really going into that store um, around the time that Civil War was happening was really my first introduction to what what we know as like direct market North mm -hmm. American comics. Sure. And as you were pointing out at that point in time, there still wouldn't have been other mainstream characters that we would maybe consider to be popular in the land mm -hmm. of Latvian or Latinx representation in those books. Yeah, you know, you'd, you'd uh, you know, it was definitely, there definitely had been some, you know, there was White Tiger, um, you know, but even today, like who, not many people know who that character is. Um, most of the other characters were relegated to being, you know, the villains. Um, or very stereotypical. Um, so even then, yeah, I still didn't really see myself or the people around me in, in these comics. Yeah. So thinking then, I guess, to the inspiration then uh, of your own work and thinking about Home, um, this year, again, you debuted your first series, Home, with Image Comics. What was the motivation to tell that story? And what was your process like in creating those characters? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the direct the direct inspiration was um, the zero tolerance family separation policy. Um, this comic doesn't exist without that happening. Um, you know, like a lot of people at that, this is spring of 2018 when that happens. Um, uh, at that point, we are, I guess, uh, a year, almost a year and a half into the Trump administration. And like a lot of people, you know, it's a, it's an incredibly stressful time period where you know every day there's something there's some new craziness happening um there's a new reason to be outraged you know by then the muslim ban had happened um you know it was it was just an insane time where i was just feeling constantly outraged and exhausted and angry um and then family separation happened and that was like for me it was it was a really impactful time um because you know, so my background, uh, you, you mentioned Cuban and Colombian. My father uh, was a Cuban exile, came here as a five-year-old, brought here by his parents. Um, uh, if you know anything about the history of like Cuban immigration to the United States, you know that it's a privileged, um, uh, it's, it's different, they're treated differently with a certain amount of privilege than uh, the rest of Latin America. Um, so, you know, him and his family didn't have to worry about their papers. You know, they were legal essentially from the moment they got here. Um, on the other hand, my, on my mother's family, my mother was born here, but her, fam her parents were undocumented from Colombia. Um, so, you know, growing up, I'm hearing about these two very different experiences and the stories of my father growing up the way that he did um, and my mother growing up the, the way that she did. Um, I've heard stories uh, from my grandmother about their experience, you know, moving from hotel to hotel because they would get like, you know, little rumors would go around the community about, you know, what was going on with immigration and what hotels would be targeted next. 
Um, and you know, they're, they don't have a lot of money, so that's where they're living. Um, and then, you know, growing up in Miami, which is obviously a diverse place, a lot of the kids that I went to school with, I didn't know at the time, I would find out as an adult, were undocumented. Um, so, you know, it's all of these different experiences, um, you know, I'm being surrounded with growing up. And then when family separation happens, I see my father in the eyes of these kids. Um, I myself, I'm a new father at the time. My son's three when that happens. Uh, I see him in the eyes of these kids. I feel like I felt it on another level that I wouldn't have if I wasn't a parent either. Um, just imagining like what it would be like, um, you know, the idea that like you would do anything for your kid and that, you know, anything also includes migrating to a new country, seeking asylum, um, which a lot of people don't realize is a legal process. Um, you know, we're not talking about uh, people jumping a fence and then you being caught or anything, you know, which you can have whatever opinion you have about that. But this was asylum, you know. Um, so for me, uh, family separation was a new low. You know, in the history of all of our broken immigration practices, no matter who the president was, Republican or Democrat, um, you know, this to me was a new low. Um, and it hit me really hard. Um, and at the time, I'm not writing comics at all. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I, I had a record label where I would um, work with a lot of like, I came up in uh, like the South Florida punk and hardcore scene, um, playing in bands, uh, having my label. Um, and that was really my main focus. Um, and at a certain point, I'd already started thinking about wanting to explore like my own creativity again, instead of just like facilitating other people's with my label. Um, and then when this happened, I kind of like became obsessed with what was going on. You know, in hindsight, I think it was like this weird way of coping with the feelings I was having. Um, so, you know, it was a lot of like reading local news, you know, like w listening to podcasts where families are being interviewed, um, just like being in it the whole time, just uh, like on a research level. Um, and then I had the idea for the comic and it felt like I had a positive out, uh, you know, a positive outlet for these feelings that I was having, these like really angry and negative feelings. Um, and that's pretty much how, you know, the comic was born. Um, but before that, I had to like figure out how to write comics, you know, how to like how the industry worked and all of that. Because um, I think like most people, when you like read comics, like at a certain point, you're like, you know, I think I can maybe write this, you know, um, it's different with art, obviously. Um, but but yeah, so uh, then came like that whole other uh, hurdle to kind of jump over. Sure. And you have obviously collaborators on this project. So uh, you worked with um, Anna as your uh, lead artist. And then also you had uh, varied covers by uh, Jacoby Salcedo. Yeah. So how did those relationships come about or how did those collaborations kind of come to fruition? Yeah, so um, so uh, I guess to, to go back a little bit, um, when I did start doing that research on like what it, what it was like to, you know, make comics and like what the, the advice is, um, you know, I kept running into people saying that, uh, you should focus on short stories first, you know? Um, so that's what I did. And that's how I met Jacoby who did the, the variant covers. Um, and I kind of put the idea of home aside and uh, just started like learning more about the craft, learning more about writing and story um, and figuring out how to tell these like short four to 10 page stories 
that I could, you know, hire an artist for and then just put them online for free um, just to like put it out there, see what people think. Um, and I guess kind of like build a name for myself. Um, and ultimately, so that when I pitched home to publishers, they would see that I had, you know, I wasn't just somebody who'd never done anything. At least I had like these short stories. Um, and Jacoby and I have now at this point had a really uh, like, you know, great collaborative relationship. He's one of my best friends now. Um, and we're working on, on other books right now. Um, but I met him through those mini comics. Um, and then when I felt good enough about it, um, I, I uh, was looking for an artist for home. And I found Anna, Anna Weisscheck um, on Reddit actually, um, which I don't think is like a common like image book story for like creators coming together. Um, but there's a subreddit for people who want to make comics, you know, uh, where you can like post like, hey, I'm a writer. This is the kind of story I'm doing. Like, are there any artists out there who might be interested um, or vice versa if you're an artist? Um, and that's how I that's how I met Anna for the first time. And so would you say that in terms of the initial response, in terms of when you were pitching initially this idea, what were some of the comments or what was some of the feedback that you received? Was there interest in the story? Was there pushback on, on publishing the story? What was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, it was, it kind of ran the gamut, um, you know, uh, so I did something that I wouldn't necessarily recommend other people do. Um, but at this point, it is uh, New York Comic Con 2019. And I, you know, I have a full picture ready. Anna had completed like eight sample pages, um, which was Brian Valenza, who's uh, the colorist and Hassan Otsmein Elhao, who's the letterer. Like we had full pages completely done for those eight pages. Um, and I kind of just went around with my iPad to different publishers and just like cold pitched them on the book and showed them the pages. And, you know, everyone was very nice. Um, but it was very obvious that the majority of them had no interest in um, doing this kind of book. Um, you know, I got a lot of comments like, you know, we don't really do political things like this. Um, or, you know, I'm not sure who this book is for. Um, and then I, um, I went over to, uh, one, Image has a lot of different imprints. Um, and I went and I met somebody who worked at an Image imprint, um, Latina editor. Uh, I only knew her from like her name being on books, you know, I Google imaged what she looked like, you know, to, to find her. Um, and I found her at the image booth and I told her about the book and she, she really loved the idea for it. Um, she was, she was really into it. Um, but she also knew that it wasn't really like the vibe of what that imprint is. Um, but she did something that really without her, this book wouldn't be out right now. Um, she put it in front of Eric Stevenson, who's the publisher at Image Proper, you know, and kind of gave it her stamp of approval and told him like, you guys should look at this and potentially publish it. Um, and, you know, that's, that's essentially, like that's essentially the story of how it ended up at Image, you um, know? Um, so, so yeah, you know, without her, I don't, I don't know that this book would have made it through like the standard, you know, submission email at Image. Yeah, or it may have ended up in a pile for a little bit longer before it saw uh, yeah. <laughs> the live day. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. it would have been out there, but just maybe it would have been a, a different process. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned before that you have a background as a musician and you did uh, some writing, I think, for zines or a few other things previously. Yeah. What is it about, I guess, the medium of comics that made you feel that that would be the right format for this kind of story? Um, you know, uh, I think it's two things. One, that it's one of my favorite mediums. 
Um, and that I just, uh, you know, ever since I was a kid reading manga, you know, and then when I was exposed to like mainstream, you know, big two American comics, um, I've, you know, I've never stopped, you know, I've always read comics and, you know, I think like most people, there's like periods where like you dip in and out. Um, but, but, you know, I've always loved comics. So it felt, um, it felt like the right place. Um, it's also obviously the barrier of entry. Uh, is much lower in comics than it is in like film or TV, obviously, um, especially for someone like me who had never worked in the comics medium. Um, you know, there's enough out there that you could do your own research and like eventually build relationships with people on social media that can give you advice or maybe make an introduction for you. Um, so, so, you know, I think it's a combination of like, A, I love the medium um, and also I have never seen these kinds of stories in comics. Um, you know, even if we think about like the big two characters like Miles Morales, America Chavez, um, these are not, as much as I love those stories, these are not a story like home. You know, these are stories about, um, you know, they follow the typical formula of what, you know, a Marvel uh, superhero origin story would be. Um, so for me, I felt like there was this big gap um, that wasn't really being serviced or being filled, you know, um, and also with just like Latino creators, because there's all sorts of Latinx creators doing amazing work right now in the medium. Um, but like most media, film, TV, comics, whatever, um, it's totally underserved, you know, it's totally disproportionate to population and the amount of media that we consume. Um, so for me, I really had no interest in doing any stories that wasn't about identity, um, not just because that's like what I'm most interested in anyway, um, but because I felt a certain amount of responsibility that like, if I'm going to tell these stories, and I'm going to put all this effort in, it might as well be about these stories that aren't being told, you know? Yeah. And, and highlighting an aspect of our culture and identity that maybe isn't considered to be as glamorous, right? In some ways, sure. it's not as yeah. popular as, as some of the superhero kind of origin story stuff that you were just describing. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now that Home is fully out in the world and the series has uh, been completed, the trade is now available. What's it been like to hear feedback from readers and fans? What's that experience been like for you? It's been great. I mean, it's been, it's been surreal and humbling. Um, you know, from the day that the first issue came out, I got so many messages, you know, emails, DMs from people who were just like, who had been anticipating the book and who read it and were just like, you know, there's people, I mean, so many people have told me that they've cried while reading it, um, that it's been an emotional experience for them, which, you know, to me is like one of the ultimate compliments um, because it was an emotional experience for me writing it, you know? Um, I mean, I was, there were moments where I was literally in tears while writing the book, you know, because I did so much research and so much of that research was put into the book. Um, in uh, issue three, in particular, there's a conversation between Juan and his mother over the phone. It's their first time speaking since they were separated. Um, and that's something that I literally took from a, a podcast interview that I heard, you know, um, where the mother is, is apologizing to her son and saying, if I, if I knew that this was gonna happen, I would have never done this. You have to believe me, please. Um, and the kid just wants to be with his mom, you know? Um, and, you know, obviously it's not word for word, it's in the context of what home is, but 
you know, that same sentiment I put into that scene, you know? Um, and I remember when I first listened to that podcast interview, I was on the train platform waiting for my train to go to work. And I just couldn't help but just cry while listening to it, you know? Um, Cause I just thought about my son and, you know, how I would feel if he was taken from me. And then on top of that, I had no idea where he was and it had been weeks of me searching. And if only for this nonprofit organization that helped her, who knows when she would have figured it out or figured out where her kid was. Um, and this is a woman who's in the real, you know, in the, in, in real life, in the interview, um, she was separated from her child in Texas and her kid ended up in, a, in the Bronx, just like shipped to a, um, you know, like a foster home in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why there's still so many kids who haven't been reunited, you know, because it was not just a cruel process, but just like a totally disorganized, you know, process where kids were just sent all over the country. Um, so to hear that people said it was emotional for them, you know, it makes me feel like I, I, you know, did like I conveyed what I was trying to convey. Um, because for me, it was so emotional and it was ridden out of a lot of anger and a lot of emotion so um so yeah you know it's been super surreal to hear from people sure and in some ways perhaps uh it's been able to restore or if not at least highlight the humanity of the individuals that have been affected by these policies in, mm -hmm. in a way that maybe people wouldn't respond to just by seeing news footage or seeing other kinds of print media or things that maybe don't feel as emotionally rich or as emotionally um based in terms of the storytelling yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think it's a shame that we need to make things like this, you know, um, that we need TV shows and films that humanize people to help those who don't already identify with whatever that identity is to like feel something. Um, but that's unfortunately the world we live in. And that was part of what, you know, I wrote this book for, you know, to hopefully, you know, like I said, it's it's a direct co market comic, and there's so much there's so much lacking from Latinx creators and Latinx stories uh, that I my hope was that I could reach some of these people who maybe either didn't pay attention to the news and maybe didn't know how bad it was. You know, maybe they heard that like Obama did it first, and they're like, oh, so it's the same thing. I I don't care. You know, um, or maybe they were indifferent even after knowing all the facts. Um, so, you know, my hope was that maybe this book would help humanize um, the people affected by it. And, you know, I, I hope it did. Um, the cynical side of me says that those people wouldn't buy this book anyway. Um, but, you know, I, I hope that, you know, even if one person uh, saw it and maybe changed their mind, it's worth it. Um, but, but a big part of it also is also just for people to see themselves in these books too, you know. Yeah. Maybe even if uh, someone hasn't gone out to purchase it just yet, uh, it's at least opening up conversations, right? So For sure. Somebody's saying, at least I'm willing to talk about this. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your story in uh, COVID Chronicles. Uh, that's the anthology published by Graphic Mundi. Your story is Between Two Worlds. So what was your inspiration behind telling that story? And again, how did you come up with the concept and find collaborators for it? Yeah. Um, so, so I did that story to answer your second question first. Uh, I did that story with Jacoby. Um, who at that point we had, um, we had done our first short story, which is the price of freedom, um, which was how, like, I just found them on Twitter, emailed him. Uh, we did that. And then we were like, let's just keep working together. 
Um, so we had done that story and we had started pitching uh, or we had already pitched and sold Frontera, uh, which is a YA graphic novel um, that's coming out from HarperCollins in 2023. Um, so we were already at work on that book. Um, and then COVID hits and the lockdowns hit. Um, and at this point, it is May 2020, I believe. So like we've already gotten past like the stage where like everyone is just staying at home and not leaving. And we're getting to that stage where people are exhausted by it and they're starting to go out and gather in parks. Um, and we're seeing these two very disparate uh, reactions to that in different parts of our city. Um, so, you know, you, uh, one of the, I don't know, um, I mean, you might be familiar, other people might be also, um, you know, this photo came out of, um, uh, I forget the name of the park, um, but on the Lower East Side where, you know, hordes of people were just like, you know, no social distancing. And, and again, at the time, like we didn't know everything that we know now about COVID um, and how like when you're outside, like, you know, it's not as common for people to catch it, et cetera. Um, but at the time, you know, it's, we're, we're all seeing this and it looks insane to us, you know, to see all these like hordes of people like sunbathing and like hanging out, like it's the great lawn on like a summer day, you know? Um, and, uh, and we see that and we also see videos and images of cops handing out masks to people, encouraging people to wear them, which like, great. That's how it, that's how it should be done. Um, like if you ask me, that's what the police's job should be during you know, this pandemic. Um, but then we also see videos in Harlem and uptown and the heights of people who are outside with masks, distance from each other, um, just like getting abused by the police and being told to go back inside. Um, you know, so like during the same weekend, I'm seeing this happening. Um, and again, like you can ask me about the inspiration for like any one of my books and almost all of them will come from like me just being angry at something that I'm seeing. Um, and, and that's where this story came from. You know, it's, I, I think it's an eight page story. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we didn't do this for COVID Chronicles initially. We just made it and uh, kind of like in the spirit of my other uh, mini comics where it was just like, let's just make something and let's just put it out there. Um, and then eventually COVID Chronicles was interested in it. So they published it. Um, but this was done, this comic was made quicker than any comic I've ever made was done. Um, I essentially, like, I was seeing this happening. It was a Sunday and I was just texting with Jacoby because at that point, like, we've already built, like, this really, like, tight collaborative relationship. Um, and I'm like, are you seeing this? I'm, like, sending him links. Um, and I'm like, we should do, I, like, I think there's a story here. Like, I think we should do something with this. Um, and again, like the, to speak to like the nature of like an artist and a writer, like truly collaborating in comics, um, you know, the, in the story, if you read it, um, the, the top half of each page is one experience and the bottom half is the other experience. Um, and it's kind of happening in real time as you read through it. Um, that was his idea. So my initial idea was to have the two experiences, but not to have them in each page um, and not to have them with the headlines. It would just be like, let's see what uh, like this group of white friends' experience is, and then let's go to Spanish Harlem and let's see what the experience is of like these two Latinx kids. Um, so like that's a testament to like the storytelling power that like we both have in these stories. Um, 
And, you know, I think we, we were done with the story within a week, um, which like, you know, we're sitting in lockdown, like we're not doing a lot anyway. Um, but, you know, to make eight comic pages from conception to posting within a week is, is not, you know, like that's, that's really quick. Um, and, and we, you know, it, it respond, like we got a great response from it when we posted it. Um, I think because it was something that a lot of people were seeing, um, they were seeing like that disparity. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's how that came about. And then COVID Chronicles was interested. So they published it also. Yeah. And in some ways, again, as you were pointing out that the inspiration sometimes is out of anger, but it sounds like it's also like this, this sense of responsibility to have to speak up about injustice or to speak up about conditions that seem unfair, unjust, et cetera. So it's, it's anger, but also then a movement towards action as a result of the anger. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's anger. And then like, is everyone else seeing this? Like, I'm not the crazy one here, right? <laughs> like, sure. um, so, so, you know, like, that's why I think it was the, the showing each experience in like the half page was so impactful for people um, and was like such a great idea from Jacoby because I think it really connected with people. Sure. And you mentioned that unique feature again, also that's present in the comic is the use of the news headlines, right, on each page. And so what, I guess, um, what influenced you to include that as another element of the story, as opposed to just telling the two experiences, but including the news headlines as well? Yeah. Um, you know, th this isn't like as an enlightened answer as my other ones. Um, uh, when Jacoby did the pages initially, he had a big gap in between. Um, and I was, I didn't like it. So I was like, why don't we just like get rid of that gap? Like we can just cut it and that's it. Um, and then I started thinking about it and um, I kept like, I kept reading things like as that was happening. Um, and, uh, and then I was like, oh, like this might be a good place for like a headline. And that's like, it's, that's literally as simple as how it happened. Um, it was just like him doing something. I wasn't into it, but then I was like, ah, oh, but maybe it's a good opportunity for this. Um, and then, you know, then it was really just like finding the right um, headlines that like corresponded. Um, and the headlines aren't word for word. Um, some of them are like a sentence within, like I, I source it at the bottom, like New York Times, whatever. Um, some of them weren't actually headlines. They were like a sentence within the article. Um, but then it was just about trying to find the ones that corresponded the best with what the action that was happening on sure. that page. Sure. So it seems like both in home and then also in between two worlds, there are these themes of um, physical and mental health and like who's protected, who isn't protected, safety and vulnerability, um, governmental response, social justice, et cetera. How do you think that those ideas maybe impact people differently? And this is, we talked about this a little bit already, but how do you think they impact people differently in the comic format than maybe other ways that they might be exposed to those same kinds of stories? Yeah, I mean, I think the pacing of comics potentially um, helps uh, make the impact larger. Um, you know, obviously, the reader is the one who paces a comic um, to a certain extent. The writer can pace it based off of like page turns and, you know, what the structure, like the story structure is. Um, but really, no, the writer can't dictate how long I stay on one panel, you know, um, and if it's a panel, um, in a home issue right after Juan speaks to his mother and he finds out that he's gonna stay separated from his mother and he's crying, you know, the reader will stay on that panel as long as they feel emotionally impacted by it. Um, 
So that's obviously non-existent in movies or TV. Um, you know, maybe the closest is in a novel, um, but there isn't that like visual aspect to it. Um, so I think when when I think about like the themes that I'm trying to approach in my books, um, a lot of the reason why it's a comic and not something else is because we can have these images that are striking images um, and, uh, you know, readers can kind of sit with it as long as they need to before moving on. Sure. And I think more and more we're starting to see in terms of, again, conversation, uh, graphic novels and comics also being introduced in the classroom as a way of uh, being part of like learning materials, et cetera. Yeah. Have you thought at all about how your work might fit into those spaces or is that something that you've been considering also in the creative process or not necessarily? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily something I was considering when I was initially writing the book. Um, but ever since the first issue came out, I already heard about people using it in the classroom, like just the floppy single issue. Um, and then very shortly after we uh, released the first issue, um, I was contacted by this group called Reimagining Migration um, about to find out if I had any interest in creating an educator guide for the book. Um, so in the back of the trade, there's a 24-page educator guide that was created by this group, Reimagining Migration, um, and their team that really uh, digs in a lot deeper to the context that I couldn't get into completely in the book without it just being like exposition all over the place. Um, so it digs into uh, what exactly family separation was, how that was different from what the asylum seeking process was prior to Zero Tolerance. Um, and then it has, for each issue, um, it has all sorts of discussion questions, uh, and it's, it's mostly tailored for a middle grade to YA audience. Um, but, you know, I think it could be used by, you know, anyone who um, is interested in the book, you know, so um, it's definitely something I keep in mind now for the things that I write, whether or not it can be used and how it can be used. Um, but it really wasn't until the first person said like, hey, I used the single, the first issue in my class. And until Reimagining Migration contacted me that I really started considering that. Sure. Um, so another exciting project that you're a part of is the forthcoming Marvel Voices Comunidades. It's uh, in their series of one shots highlighting diverse communities and cultures and identities in the Marvel universe. So how did you become involved in that project? Did, were you approached? Did you approach them? How did, how did that come about? Um, so, you know, like a lot, I, you know, I think a lot of big two editors, like part of their job is to like stay in the know of like what creator owned comics are coming out, especially from a publisher like Image. Um, so, you know, uh, I actually haven't told this story before. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you, um, I, so Marvel Voices, uh, like you mentioned, Comunidades is not the first book. There's been all sorts of different um uh, books for different communities. So um, the original one, I believe, was for African-American creators. There was a Pride one, um, a, women, a Women of Marvel one, um, and one for Indigenous creators. Um, so I was seeing this happening, um, and I was like, you know, I bet they're going to do one for Latinx creators. Um, so I essentially just, like, emailed my agent, and I was like, hey, um, I looked at the like who the editors are on this book on these books. It's always the same editor. Um, like, do you think we can reach out to that editor and just say like, hey, if you guys do a Latinx one, like maybe you can consider him to write a story for it. Um, and uh, essentially, like six months after 
uh, my agent sent that email. They were like, hey, so you guys guessed correctly. We are going to do one. Um, would, uh, would Julio like to contribute a story to it? Um, so, you know, so that's, that's essentially how it happened. So, you know, I think having home out, um, and like the response that it got is probably did the most amount of work for me getting on this book, but I think also just like, you know, kind of seeing into the future a little bit and seeing like, you know, maybe they'll do something for our community too. So let's just like raise our hand and see what happens, you know? Sure. So without giving anything away, uh, the story that you've written features uh, Miles Morales and Anya Corazon, so Spider-Man mm -hmm. and Spider-Girl, uh, respectively. Yeah. And it includes some conversation about identity and how we frame cultural heritage, I guess, um, in our language. So what yeah. about those particular characters made you feel like they'd be a good vehicle for that kind of a story? Yeah, um, I mean, I just love those characters. Um, I mentioned Miles before. Um, but, you know, around the same time, I, I believe maybe like a little bit after that Civil War came out and I was like introduced to big two comics, um, Spider-Girl was introduced and she was originally introduced as Aranya. Um, and that's when uh, when those issues first started coming out. Uh, Marvel, um, I guess they kind of like rebooted the original Amazing Fantasy series that Spider-Man debuted. Um, and they used it as like a mini series to introduce new characters. And I think like five or six of those issues introduced Aranya. Um, which was Anya Corazon and, um, you know, half Mexican, half Puerto Rican character. Um, and she's kind of like caught on amongst like younger readers in um, the Spider-Man animated series, um, like the, a, a pretty recent Disney one. Um, so like she has, like, she has like a, a following, you know, that I wasn't really expecting when they announced that I was doing her story. Um, like if you went on Twitter and searched like Spider-Girl, there were people like, oh my gosh, she's finally doing something in the comics again, you know? Um, and she's finally being paired with Miles because um, they they have a romance in the in the cartoon. Um, but in the comics, they've like, with the exception of like the Spider-Verse and like those kinds of titles, um, they've never really interacted in like the comics format. Um, so for me, it was really like, I love these two characters. Um, they uh, They said yes to Anya right away. Um, they, it was actually like, they, they sent me like a list of characters. They're like, oh, these are like all the Latin, it's like some of the Latinx characters you have to choose from. Um, and Miles was not on that list. So for me, I was like, ah, oh, they're probably like saving him for like some big creator, you know, like, I just imagine that like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but like, sure. you know, maybe like a larger Latinx creator that whose name we would recognize, like already had a Miles story. But I was just like, you know what? I, I would love to do like an Anya Miles like team up story. And they just said yes right away. So I was super excited about that. Um, and then this was the first story that I that I pitched to them. Um, I sent them two ideas. Um, one of them is the one that uh, we got to do for this. Um, and I got to collaborate with Enid Balam who is the artist uh, in Reptile, which is a really cool, um, Marvel miniseries uh, that just wrapped up that my friend Terry Bloss writes. Um, and, um, and yeah, the story is essentially, um, it's six pages um, and most of it is just a conversation. Um, and it's a conversation about uh, the term Latinx. Um, I think it's a conversation that a lot of us have had with family members, you know, um, you know, parents, grandparents, you know, Latinx, que eso, no entiendo or whatever, exactly. you know. Um, and, uh, it's essentially, uh, you know, this doesn't give anything away. It's just the premise. Um, Miles's mom, uh, 
sees Anya and Miles making these like protest signs. Anya writes Latinx on her sign. And she's like, what is that? Like, I've seen that, like, I've seen that around, like, I've seen people using it on the internet, but like, I've never like taken the time, like, what does it mean? Um, and, you know, she'll, she'll give the, the basic, you know, like, uh, not definition, like explanation of it. And then it's really questions about like, why do we need that? Um, why is that necessary? Like, why, why can't we, like, why isn't Latino Latina enough? Um, and it's essentially a conversation about um, like why people have used that term um, and how, you know, it's really just about like respecting other people, you know, and like respecting people's identities um, and being identified the way that they want to be identified. You can be identified how you want to be identified. Um, so, so yeah, it's pretty much uh, six pages on what does this mean? Why do people use it? Sure. And, and it's a conversation that's ongoing. Uh, actually, as part of this series, it's something that we're continuing to talk about. Keeping in mind, there are these various um, options, choices, preferences between how people want to be identified mm -hmm. and how they feel they are best represented by the language that yeah. we use. Um, so most often we hear Latino, Latina, Latinx, we're now hearing Latine also mm -hmm. as uh, another form of plurality. Um, do you have a particular, I guess, relationship to any of those words or does one feel like it's more authentic for you that, that you're yeah, more comfortable Yeah, I mean, saying? for me, which is kind of like the thesis for, for that story, um, is that I, you know, I identify as Latino. Um, that's like, but I don't, I'm not mad if someone says Latinx. I'm not mad if someone says Latina. Like, you know, for me, it's just like, I, I like, if somebody says like Latinx writer, that's fine. Someone says Latino writer, that's fine for me. But I will address people by whatever it is that they say they are uh, most comfortable with, you know? Um, and I think that's really the important thing about these, uh, these terms that don't necessarily hinge on gender. Um, you know, if somebody says that they only want to be identified as Latinx or Latina, then I think if you respect that person, then that's what you should do. Um, but, but ultimately, I think it's just about understanding, and that's what the story is about. You know, it's about like being open um, to, you know, people's identities and just, you know, treating them with respect. Sure. Well, this has been amazing. So thank you, Julio, again, for joining us for this conversation today. Um, again, Home is available now in trade paperback and uh, from Image Comics. The COVID Chronicles is available also. Marvel Voices, Comunidades, will be out on December 8th. So be sure to pick them all up at your local comic store or bookseller. We'll share all of uh, Julio's social media below. And that way you can check out more of his work and other things that are forthcoming, including Frontera, that we can look forward to when it's out and, and available. And be sure to also follow us at uh, Beyond Latinx so we can keep you posted on our upcoming events. Until next time, abrazos y adios, and we'll see you all soon. And in case you wanted to see the Jacoby Salcedo variant cover of issue one of Home, there it so is. Good. So you can check it out. Yes, amazing. <laughs> so thank you again, Julio. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.